Early one morning, James Marshall went down to the calmest part of the river to start his workday. He was building a sawmill for a local landowner. Every day, James grabbed his shovel and waded into the shallow water to dig a ditch that would carry the river water through the sawmill. But that day, before James could start, something caught the corner of his eye. A handful of small luminous flakes were perched on the top of a rock about six inches beneath the surface of the water. James bent over to narrow his focus, but he already knew what it was. The glimmer of gold in the sunlight was unmistakable. Unbeknownst to him, James had just changed the course of American history forever. That fateful morning in 1848 was the catalyst for the largest mass migration in U.S. history. 750,000 pounds of gold would be discovered in California. The modern equivalent of $2.1 billion would be mined in 1852 alone. Over the next few years, hundreds of thousands of people would pour into California from all over the U.S. and abroad with a glint of gold in their eye. The California gold rush was on. The would-be miners flocked to the American River in Coloma, California with a single goal in mind. Find gold and strike it rich. But ultimately, few of them succeeded. Can you recall the name of a single person who struck it rich mining gold in the 1850s? I don't think so. The names that live on in the history books aren't there simply because they made a quick buck. Samuel Brannan, Domingo Ghirardelli, Leland Stanford. The reason we still know them all today is because they saw an opportunity that was greater than gold. The most famous name of the gold rush era never had any interest in panning for gold at all. Levi Strauss knew the real opportunity was beyond the river. He saw everything differently. Instead of wading into the chaos, he set to be part of the infrastructure that would support the community of miners flocking to California. Not grabbing a piece of pie, but growing the dessert tray for everyone involved. So in the early days of Levi's arrival, the young German immigrant started selling imported dry goods from his brother's store in New York. He sold all the gold rush essentials. Needed new waiters to get gold in the middle of the river? Levi's had it. The ladies from the saloon not giving you the time of day? He sold combs and purses. Levi's store was the place to be. But then Levi saw a new opportunity. He used the Peking California gold rush as the foundation to launch an empire. He heard from local prospectors that they couldn't find a decent pair of pants to withstand their grueling work conditions. So he grabbed the rough canvas material that he used for tents and wagon covers, and he got to work. He originally made waste overalls that the miners liked, but they chafed. He substituted a twill cotton cloth from France that later became known as denim. Serge Denim, in French, the pants earned the nickname blue jeans. Levi's pants would not only go on to be durable in their material, but also their shelf life in American history. From the miners of the California gold rush to future presidents, Levi's jeans would become an American staple. Arguably the most popular article of clothing ever created. Levi wasn't interested in the precious metals peeking out from under the mud. He was focused on providing for the entire gold rush ecosystem. He saw the bigger picture, what the community needed in order to grow and prosper. 
As CX leaders, we need to understand our role when it comes to fostering the communities we're a part of. We create a system of support that allows the greater community to thrive. We build the infrastructure. We create the networks. We listen, nurture, and uplift. But sometimes we're traveling through uncharted waters. How do we build trust when it comes to brand new markets? And in unregulated digital technologies that few people even understand? Well, whether you preferred tailored, slim fit, athletic, or boot cup, put on your favorite pair of blue jeans, grab your pickaxe and shovel, and let's wade into the river. Because today, we're panning for CX gold, and we're talking crypto. Welcome to Often Imitated, a podcast about remarkable experiences from the past and how they inspire people to create great customer experiences today. This episode is all about building community. How Levi Strauss contributed to the California Gold Rush by supporting miners and providing the blueprint for community builders of the future. In this episode, we'll hear from Michael Gassior, head of growth at Trust Token and founder and CEO of Truth Cartel about how he and his team found a unique way to listen, filter, and construct an intimate community with their users in the crypto space. But first, a word from our sponsors. Often Imitated is brought to you by the generous support of our friends at Oracle. Make every interaction matter with Oracle Advertising and CX. Connect all your data and empower your entire business to deliver exceptional customer experiences from acquisition to retention and everything in between. Hear more executive perspectives on CX transformation at oracle.com slash CX. There's a reason they call it digital gold. Just as prospectors flocked to California in 1848, miners and traders have flocked to Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies with the hopes of striking it rich overnight. This modern-day gold rush has minted its share of millionaires. Since its mysterious inception in 2009, Bitcoin has amassed a market capitalization of over a trillion dollars. And the global market cap for all cryptocurrencies is closer to 2.5 trillion and growing. But this industry is not ascended to these heights on the backs of miners and traders alone. Cryptocurrency thrives because of the people building the infrastructure and supporting the ecosystem as a whole. Fresh perspective continues to flow in, made possible by those who have invested in the community before. People like Michael Gessiorek. Michael is the head of growth at Trust Token, where their stated goal is to bring economic opportunity to all by building finance infrastructure for the internet age. And if your eyes glazed over and your brain went numb the second I mentioned cryptocurrency, well, don't worry, you'll be an expert in no time, because Michael is here to be our guide. First, let's hear Michael explaining the problem they're trying to solve. What we are known for is one of the first ever stablecoins. Now, what's a stablecoin? Think of it as a digital dollar, right? When you try to move money around the world, you're usually going bank to bank. You're having to go through that bank system. That's usually going to take a few days, and it's going to cost you a pretty penny if you're moving a serious amount with a wire. When you take a currency digital, that currency moves much faster, much more cheaply, and it goes directly peer-to-peer, never touching a bank rail. That TUSD uh, asset, that's what we call our stablecoin, uh, and there are many like it now, is now moving a few billion dollars uh, around the world every, every month, and it's got about a billion dollars in circulation. 
And the other thing we've been known for, for since about the last year, just under that, is a lending protocol. You could think of that as, again, sort of a peer-to-peer lending, just like a bank would do. But we do it without any locked-up collateral. So instead of thinking about it as a loan you might get on your car or your house, think about it as a loan you might get for a student, for student debt or for, uh, say, debt financing without, without backed up by an by a asset of some sort. It's the first protocol of its kind with a credit score, with, without any sort of collateral. And in the last uh, few months, it actually hit that billion-dollar mark of, you might say, assets under management, if you will, and uh, has done about half a billion dollars in loans. So fast-growing, uh, first of its kind, and something we're really proud of. Michael works to bolster the crypto ecosystem by supporting and building community. And in the world of crypto, there's no better way to start than word of mouth. And how do you cultivate word of mouth? You cultivate an amazing community. You, you make people feel really listened to. It's the ultimately most empathic way of doing marketing because you're really in direct one-to-one communion with people that you're, that you're servicing. And they, in turn, bring that message out to others. So trust is why. That's why we need to do it this way. And so what you'll notice in crypto, uh, and this is broadly across the category, is that the, the sort of two or three classical, maybe even four classical steps in a customer relationship, a model that I use in my marketing and I've been talking about for a little while is first you build a community in the first place, right? That often means getting a few folks that, you know, already kind of know and love you maybe personally or from your past work and getting them together into maybe a Discord channel, which is sort of a, a channel for chatting a little bit like Slack and getting those folks to give you feedback about this thing you're building, right? The next step is you got to educate these people how this thing works. For us, that looks like a lot like content marketing. So we're producing a lot of blog posts. We're working with influencers who already have existing channels to tell them a little bit about you know, what we're doing. And then they communicate that out to, to their followers. So we'll work a lot with influencers for explainer videos on you know, sponsored tweets and what, what have you. Education being a big, big, big core component. So now that your community knows how this thing works, maybe a few of them start adopting it. You start getting a little bit of traction. They're actually playing with the product. They'll connect a wallet. And we can get into that later, what that even means. And maybe make their first loan. Maybe they start earning their first interest. And when enough people do that, you've got some real traction, you go to step four. And that's the step that we would call in sort of marketing matrix here, the credentialing phase. You take the traction you've gotten and you take that to the next higher order of people. Maybe that's, you know, a bigger community. Maybe that's a bigger influencer. Maybe that's the press. Or maybe that's a borrower that was waiting for you guys to get a big enough size before they touch the damn thing. Now, when that flywheel starts turning, along the way, you're gonna start getting feedback about what to build next. We're in daily communication with our community. This process Michael lays out emphasizes the importance of community building. The community you create with your users will make or break the success of your product. By listening to gold miners, our pal Levi discovered their pain points. And I'm not just talking about chafing. And if you've listened to your customers, they'll tell you exactly what you should be building next. We have about 5,000 in, in one channel, about 30,000 on Twitter. And they're telling us daily about ways they want to see the product improve. Bugs, you know, feature requests, ideas for, from what other protocols are doing that might be rivals or might be, might be partners. And that gives you the, the last, sort of last and final step of this process, which is you build the next iteration. That's when the flywheel starts all over again. Once you've built it, the community, again, gets participating in it. you got to educate them about the next step of what you've built. Then you get adoption on that again. You credential that next step, and you get back to building. 
And that flywheel turns and turns until you've built something that is really sizable and starts to speak for itself. And the word of mouth takes off and the community becomes your sort of user experience and customer support channel. The community becomes your, you might say, like engineering advocacy team telling you what to build next. The lines are so blurred in our industry between who the customer is and who the core team is. Uh, and the more blurred they are, typically speaking, the more decentralized and stronger the protocol and the product. And so it's often up to us to, to, to latch on to a really cool idea coming from a community member and saying, you know, this is great. Let's take this to a sidebar. Let's develop your idea a little bit. Okay, now you're somewhere that's sophisticated, concrete, and actionable. Why don't you go ahead and propose this to the community and let's see what they have to say about it. And if they support your idea, if you've successfully advocated for this thing that we together have given some shape, we're, we're 100% going to build it. So we work very, very closely hand in hand. There's not a lot of like this activist, activist like board member type energy. It's, it's very purely collaborative. The beauty of a community flywheel is the virtuous circle it creates for your customers and your company. You invest time and energy into your community and they invest their time and energy using your product, giving you feedback and being evangelists for the company. But the decentralized nature of cryptocurrency takes this whole concept to a new level. Each member of the community is truly invested. They feel and act like owners. Their participation moves the needle forward. You would think of it as there are people who own your stock. They might own your stock for the long term. And then there are those few people who not just own your stock, but based on having you know 0.13 voting share, start attending your board meetings and start voting for certain things. Start literally rallying advocates, like advocates to their side so that suddenly they're voting as a block on getting certain things done. And basically our boardroom is open all the time. It's open 24 seven in a, in a comms channel open to the public, whether or not you have any of our stock. Maybe one day they wanna be a, you know, a really deep participant. And then the other day they wanna sell your token for upside, which I think is also why this community is so important because community does one thing that product marketing people are so concerned with too, which is retention. Because suddenly you don't just stay because the product is good and you see the promise of it in the future. You also stay because you feel something for this community or for the people that you've come to know in it. And in many ways, you holding the token and you participating on a regular basis, it's a little bit of a community for you, like truly and earnestly, like a social community, right? I'm not going to go so far as to compare it to your church group or to your college buddies, but um, you get to know some of these people. You get to start building with them. You get to know them personally. You do, you do calls with them and suddenly you're talking about, you know, where you guys went to school, what NFTs you should try to flip and, um, you know, what towns you live in and where the best place to you know, run around with your dog is. And suddenly it feels like, you know, I like these guys. I want to stick around with them, regardless of what the price action is, regardless of what the next step of the protocol is. And uh, we're always trying to, you know, get that emotional tie in with the product and with the token so that we can escalate people from just traders to investors to then participants. Getting this level of emotional investment from your community takes time. Once you have it, the future is limitless. When James Marshall looked into the river that fateful morning, there's no way he could have foreseen the California gold rush and the community that would come out of it. Michael thinks we're on the verge of a complete transformation from the ground up. The rules of finance will be rewritten. Institutions will be rebuilt. The world as we know it will be changed forever. When you think about what will happen in the future... It is my belief, personally speaking, that cryptocurrency will effectively eat up the traditional sort of financial infrastructure 
you uh, remember maybe back to Andreessen Horowitz putting out the famous blog post, software is eating the world. This is crypto is eating finance. Now, in the short term, that might mean, you know, money moves around cheaply and, you know, more easily. But over time, it's going to mean so many other things. It's going to it's going to seep into all parts of our world. It might allow us to put uh, real estate contracts on the blockchain and then to basically uh, break the house up into into parts that you can now sell at a moment's notice. It allows us to move to conduct sophisticated financial transactions simultaneously to move billions of dollars across the world in, with a few stops. It, the potential here is so vast and sophisticated that it is going to absolutely affect real estate, wage and income and earning opportunities, uh, investing, meaning saving, lending, borrowing, you know, even insurance. It's absolutely going to affect uh, ownership of property, cars and, and you know, other goods. And, you know, the, the way that it does that is by, you know, really turning the existing infrastructure on its head. Now, there are obviously vested interests that are core to our current infrastructure, governments and banks, right, that are not always so happy about the change that's coming. And I don't think it'll be an easy transition. I don't think it'll be an evenly distributed transition. I think that certain countries and certain banks will be quicker to jump on. But what I and, and then some will fight it. What's going to happen? Well, this innovation isn't stopping, but it's going to move. It's going to move where it can flourish. Because not just cryptocurrency, but the talent in cryptocurrency is so fluid. It can move with a drop of a hat to a new jurisdiction, and from there continue to blossom. But the thing with smart contracts, and especially decentralized projects, is that once, it, once the genie is out of the bottle, once it's launched and the code is running, it's very difficult, maybe impossible, to put that genie back. So this change is coming. And it's going to ripple out through every possible financial sector. Money as we know it is going to change. And frankly, I'm really, really excited about that. I think it's going to increase accessibility to financial opportunity for all. It's going to chip away a little bit at the calcified centers of power, the moneyed, you know, bag holders that currently sort of run the world. And it's going to, you know, really create a more of a meritocracy around money. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm in this industry. For Michael, it's not about grabbing all the gold he can carry and leaving the river empty for anyone else. He believes in the bigger picture. He's not just investing, he's invested. Building community and creating a flywheel that feeds back into itself. He is supporting the ecosystem as a whole, so everyone can benefit from the greater transformation at hand. As we connect with the members of our community and foster their connection with each other, we create a strong base of emphatic customers. A virtuous cycle of feedback and open communication follows suit. And who knows, one of them might just have an idea that's worth its weight in gold. Thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by the generous support of our friends at Oracle. Make every interaction matter with Oracle Advertising and CX. Connect all your data and empower your entire business to deliver exceptional customer experiences from acquisition to retention and everything in between. Hear more executive perspectives on CX transformation at oracle.com slash CX. This is your host, Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Thank you for listening to another episode of Often Imitated. If you like what you're hearing, just tell one friend. This podcast was narrated by me, Ian Faison, written by David Freiberger, 
and produced by Mackie Wilson, Ezra Baker Trupiano, and John Libby. You can hear more about our team at caspianstudios.com. Fiddlesticks. <laughs> I'd be more worried about them cats if I were you. We need the old prospector added in. Ezra Mackey, make it happen. Old prospector, Will Ferrell, SNL sketch. Fellas, fellas, listen up. We're going to be working at night. So just follow me and my lantern, all right? And if you hear me make the sound of a chipmunk, stay real still. How do we know what that sounds like? Oh, trust me, Joshua. You'll know. <laughs> uh, cinnamon and gravy.